We're going to be continuing our series in the beginning, uh, and it's a series aimed at explaining who we are, why we're here, uh, and why things are as they are. Uh, and if you don't understand your past, you definitely can't understand your present, and it's very hard to understand your future. And if it wasn't for the book of Genesis, we wouldn't know why we are as we are. We wouldn't know who we're supposed to be, why we were created as we are currently created. And we're going to be looking at here the curse on the man and the woman. We're going to be looking at how, depending on your gender, you bear a different curse from the other gender. But as always, we're in this together and so often we bear each other's curses. Uh, so I, during the uh, 1800s, uh, the early 1800s, there was a, a really interesting um, study done on, uh, it was about, about that time that men started abandoning church. Attendance rates used to be around 50-50 men and women, and then around that time, men started to uh, withdraw from church, they started to stop going from church, and the question naturally arose, what is going on? Why are all these men uh, leaving? And this guy kind of went back and he, and he saw that around the 1800s, there was a shift in the way that preachers would see sin. Uh, sin were, began to be characterized with masculine traits and uh, piety and godliness and faithfulness started to be characterized with feminine traits. And as you can imagine, if the women were coming in and no sin was being called out in them and they were told that they were angels and the men were demons, eventually the men were kind of like, well, I've had enough of this, I'm out. Um, and it's very interesting kind of plotting that and it was a call for me to not do the same. And I remember early in my, uh, I guess my preaching career back in, you know, 2015, 2016, I was actually very similar uh, in the way that I viewed sin. I viewed sin as more masculine and piety and faithfulness is more feminine, uh, but that's a lie. God has created masculinity and He's created femininity, and both of them are good. And after the fall, they're both equally sinful. They're both equally sinful. And I'm going to try to show you from the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, why I believe that's the case. And so rather than, as you're hearing this sermon, thinking, you know, oh, my dad, my, my husband... Uh, my brother, my son, they don't do any of these things that Cody's talking about. Or thinking, oh, you know, my wife's not like this, or my daughter's not like this, or my mum, you know, she didn't do this for me, or whatever. We need to learn. Remember last week, Adam and Eve blame shifted. They blamed everyone else but themselves. Today, I want us to look at ourselves, to take responsibility for ourselves, and not to be pointing the finger at others. So let's get into it. Genesis 3, uh, we're going to be reading from verse 16 to the end of the chapter. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. 
And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so we see two curses. Firstly, the curse on the woman, and then the curse on the man. And last week, we saw the curse on the serpent. So we actually see three curses, and God is kind of cursing them in reverse order to how he approached them. He approached Adam first, To see if Adam would take responsibility for his actions, he did not. He then approached the woman, she did not take responsibility, and then, well, he doesn't talk to the serpent, he just goes straight to cursing. And then he goes in reverse order, from the serpent, to the woman, to the man. And before I get too far into this, I want to affirm some truths that we find in the book of Genesis, um, and they are not undermined whatsoever in this passage. Men and women are both made in God's image. They're both created equal before God, they're equal in value, they're equal in dignity and worth, and while we may see in the book of Genesis that we have different roles and different functions, it does not negate the fact that God created both genders to be equal. And so we see these curses, and the first thing I want you to notice is this, is um, God is going to curse the man and the woman at their vocations. He's going to curse them at the design element which they were created in the garden. That's where he's going to curse them. To the woman, what does he curse? Childbearing. And the role of the woman as the helper. That's what he's cursing. Two spheres, children and relationships. To the man, God is going to curse him at his vocation, which we saw was tending and keeping the garden. And so both of those things are cursed. And for the man, work is going to be hard yakka. It's going to be tough stuff. He's going to have to work hard. He's going to have to sweat. He's not going to want to do it. He's going to have to strive and toil because the world is dangerous. It is scary and you can die very easy. You can return to the ground in an instant. It might just take three days in the desert without water and without food and you'll be dead. It might just be a disease that will kill you within a week. Death has now come upon humanity. And so first... uh, In the order of the book of Genesis, we're going to deal with the curse on the woman. That's the first thing we're going to look at. And it says this, To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And we know that the the original command uh, that we can see in uh, when God created humanity was to be fruitful and multiply. And uh, Adam was kind of incapable of doing that by himself. He needed... Um, he needed Eve, and she was created. And one of the purposes for why she was created was for um, getting pregnant, having children, furthering the human race, filling the earth um, and, and subduing it. And so this work would have been a wonderful work without pain, without danger and suffering and the risk of death, but now things are different. Now the pain of labor was going to be a constant reminder of sin. And for women all across history, pregnancy and labor were necessary to ensure the survival of the human race, but it was brutal. It was incredibly dangerous. We have uh, modern medicine and the mortality rate for women in childbearing and for their children is 
really low, but that was not the case all throughout history. In fact, throughout history, it was brutal. It was high mortality rates. Most babies wouldn't be brought to term. Most babies wouldn't survive until they were um, two years old, and most of them wouldn't even make it to 12 years old. It was brutal, and a lot of women died in childbearing. It was painful. It was dangerous. Not only uh, just labor, but the whole process of raising children is difficult. Uh, I know that personally. The whole process of raising children is a difficult one. It's a joy-filled one, but it's also hard. And Adam and Eve, they pass on their sin nature to their children. And if you guys have been around children, you know they're kind of like little terrorists, aren't they? They want to do what they want to do. They have a sin nature just like us. And the whole process of raising children... Calvin's going to shout out during this section now. It's going to be great. Um, (laughs) The whole process of raising children is going to take effort. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be strenuous. It's going to be hard. They need constant attention and constant protection. And if the uh, troubles of the world don't kill the child, the anxiety that the mother feels over it uh, will kill her. It's overwhelming sometimes the anxiety that a mother will feel over a child. Disease, infections, viruses all threaten children. In the ancient times, or even now, I guess, you know, wild animals, predators were a big deal. It was dangerous to conceive a child and give birth. Most of a woman's problems actually begins the moment she gets married, um, (laughs) as you will see in this next passage. Because this last section of the verse says, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Very interesting phrase. In the Hebrew, it literally is, your desire shall be for your husband. And what does that mean? You might initially read that and be like, oh, that sounds really nice. Like, the woman desires to be with the husband. She wants to be with the husband. But that's not actually what's going on here. That's not actually what's going on. Now, we're going to have to jump into Genesis 4-7. Um, and there's going to be some spoilers for Genesis 4, but I'm pretty sure most of you have read Genesis 4, so it's not going to be spoilers. Uh, but Cain is the firstborn son of Eve, and uh, he's offered a sacrifice along with his younger brother Abel, and God likes Abel's sacrifice, but Cain's sacrifice, yeah, it's not as great. And God's using it as a teaching um, opportunity for Cain to understand what kind of sacrifices God likes and what sacrifices he doesn't like. But instead... He decides, no, nah, I'm just going to kill Abel. Like, screw that guy. He, he, God preferred him over me. So he's going to uh, kill Abel. And God warns him. And he says this to Cain. He says, sin is crouching at the door. And look at this. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. It's the exact same words we find in this passage. And it helps us understand what's going on. It helps us understand what this last part of the passage means. The second curse we know is at the woman's relationship with the husband as helper. It's cursing the woman's role as helper. And if you remember when we uh, learned about the creation of the woman and how she was designed to be a helper, we know that that word helper means the kind of help that God gives. When you do a word study on that help, like 98% of the time, it's speaking about the help that God gives, and then maybe 2% of the time, it's talking about other people, and then this one moment where we see it in Genesis. And so we know that it's not a demeaning role to be a helper here, but it's a role wrapped up in the character of God. It's wrapped up in being made in the image of God. And for Cain, what God is saying to him is, sin is seeking to dominate you. Its desire is to have him. It's to control him. And ultimately, that's what the word desire here means. It's actually a desire, a 
desire to control. It's pretty much if you boil it down, that's probably the, the best you can do with it. It's control. Rather than the desire to help the man, the woman will now desire to control the man. And this can show itself up in many different ways. Um, in marriage, in broader society, if uh, we've all had mothers, we all know what it's like. And that's, in some moments, you need your mum to control you. Uh, but when you're in a marriage, it's not as, it's not as fun. Uh, some resort to manipulation, nagging, criticism, confrontation, conflict. And if they can't get their way, it may end up being cold, indifferent, judgmental. They're never pleased. Either way, the wife is no longer there as a helper, but as one who seeks to dominate and take control. And it's, the woman is basically cursed with a contrary desire. And it manifests itself in different ways. But that's not all to it. There's a second element to this curse. It says here, he shall rule over you. Now I've got a quick question for you guys. Over the whole breadth of human history, has this worked out well for the woman? No, not a chance. The leadership that God originally gave to Adam has now been corrupted by the fall. It has been corrupted by the fall. The word rule here means to take dominion. And you know that when God created the man, he said, go out, subdue the world, take dominion. That was what man was created for. They were created to lead, but now they're sinful. Now that leadership wouldn't be exerted for the good of those underneath his care, but for himself. That leadership serves to serve himself. And man would react to the woman's attempt to take control by asserting his rule. Neither are good. I'm not saying either of them are good. They're both bad. And herein lies the battle of the sexes. Herein lies why men and women just don't get along when we're in our most sinful state outside of the garden. And it lies at the heart of every relationship between a man and a woman, the desire to be in control. And if both desire to call the shots, there'll be fireworks. And we see many marriages which can be described as having many fireworks. Before the fall... The man was the leader and the woman was the follower. And this happened naturally, organically and beautiful. It was wonderful. It was a wonderful thing. And you can see in, in the part of us that still remembers the image of God, the part of us that still reflects the image of God, we kind of know that to be true. And you've got the image of God and then you've got something else, don't you? You've got the image of God that tells us what is true, right, good and beautiful. And then you've got something else and that's the curse. Desiring to assert yourself desiring to be in control. And this works out two ways with men. Domination or abdication. Domination or abdication. The man will use his superior strength in order to intimidate and silence, or they'll go the opposite. They'll go their own way, and they'll do nothing. They'll do what Adam did in the garden and fail to tend and keep it. They're going to be emotionally distant from their wives. They're not going to be involved. They're going to retreat into hobbies. They're going to go out with their buddies and drink while their homes are on fire. And either way, note this, their wives are neglected. Whether he's going to dominate her and abuse her and be violent with her, or he's going to abdicate and not show up and not be there, both of them are neglecting his wife. 
And this is my opinion, but I think most men in Australia tend towards abdication over domination. There are obviously exceptions to this rule. But every couple is now doomed to fighting, quarreling, and abuse on both sides. And so the woman is cursed in childbearing and in her role as helpmate. Now we're going to turn to the men. Men are probably like, oh, I already feel beat, beaten up and we haven't even got to us yet. Uh, men are cursed in their role as protectors and providers. Verse 17 and 19, let's read. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. Two roles for the man. God put him in the garden to tend and to keep. And this is exactly where they're going to bear their curse. And God starts by saying, Adam, because you listened to the voice of your wife. Who did you listen to, Adam? Did you listen to me? No, you abdicated your role as leader and you listened instead uh, to Eve instead of God. Adam did what his wife told him to do, not what God told him to do, not what God wanted him to do. And the man of dirt, who was supposed to go out and take dominion over all the dirt of the earth to subdue the earth, instead was going to be subdued by the earth. He was no longer going to be one who takes dominion, but one who ultimately was going to be swallowed up by the ground. And every element, every molecule in your body comes from the soil. Comes from the soil. Guess what happens when you die? It returns to it. It's exactly what is happening. We are literally made of dust and we break down back into the nutrients of the soil. And growing food now is going to be hard work. It's going to be dangerous and it's a big deal because if you fail, you don't just die. Your family dies. Your tribe dies. This wasn't always the way. Working in the garden was a great joy, just as it would have been a joy to have children in the garden. But now it's a slog, it's toil, it's hard. There are predators, there are diseases, there are infections, there are other sinful humans around who might kill you. All we have to do is think of Cain and Abel. Everything now is survival. It's the battle of the fittest. Natural selection at its finest. Death will rule the day now. And it's man's responsibility to ensure that he and his family and his tribe survive in this dangerous world. And it's his responsibility to ensure that everyone is fed, that there's food on the table. And if he, for that to happen, he's got to work hard. And a lot of us may feel like this isn't relevant because most of our food comes from the shops, from the, uh, you know, from the marketplace. Um, but especially when Adam was sent out of the garden, this was it. It was a big deal for most of human society. Most of human society was agrarian. Most people worked in food production just to survive. And now there are weeds. It says here, thorns and thistles come up out of the soil. Now, it's not that the ground is no longer fertile. The ground is still fertile. It just doesn't bring up the stuff we want it to. It's not going to bring up the stuff we want. It's going to bring up weeds that are inedible. They're poisonous. They're stinging. 
They're invasive. They're fast-growing. And in our comfortable state in modern farming, uh, you only really have to battle the weeds in your lawn. But it's a big deal when weeds are growing up in your fields. It's a big deal. And the reality is we all live on labor. We all do. Even if you're not the one personally growing the food, someone has to grow the food. The food doesn't materialize. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It doesn't come out of nowhere. So what have we been doing since the fall? Sweating, working, toiling, throwing everything we have at the problem. Mankind has had to sharpen their mechanical skills, their engineering skills, their agricultural and scientific skills for thousands of years in order to bring us to where we are right now. These things didn't just spring into existence. The supermarket wasn't there 10,000, 6,000, 5,000 years ago. You had to work hard. For example, I'll give you a quick example. In the 14th century, about a hectare of land produced about 470 kilos of grain. 2017, the average yield in Australia was 2,674 kilos per hectare. That's almost six times as much as 600 years ago. It's a big deal. The production we have now is amazing comparatively because mankind has sweated, because mankind has toiled to bring this into existence. Working hard, earning money and ensuring that there is shelter, food and protection for his family, that's important. And how does this apply to us now? Well, most men in the church here, I know that none of you guys are farmers. You can come correct me if that's not the case. But none of us work in food production. We get food production from the supermarket. All our food comes from the store. But we still provide. And that comes through money. It comes through working. And Adam knew how to relate, relate to Eve before the fall. Remember when uh, Eve's created? Do you remember what Adam did like straight away? He bursted into poetry. I believe he bursted into a song. He knew how to romance his wife in the garden. He knew what to say. He knew how to make her feel loved, how to make her feel validated. He led, his leadership was a place of caring for her well-being. He eats the fruit and all of a sudden it's her fault that all this went badly. All of a sudden his leadership has uh, taken a bad turn and all his toil is going to be cursed. Leading will be a curse. Caring for your family's personal need is cursed. Taking interest in their feelings, their emotions, their sufferings will become harder and harder because we understand each other less and less. And most men will only work hard and toil hard to serve themselves. Most men will look for shortcuts. We look for simple and easy fixes. Duct tape might fix a leak, probably won't. It's not going to fix a family. It's not going to fix problems in your relationship. And when problems come, we ignore them. Either we're so unapproachable that no one even voices their concerns, so we feel like everything's going well, or so distant that no one even bothers to approach us. But I want one last thing I want you guys to notice. We bear each other's curses. By nature, we're a team, so we have to bear each other's curses. Men have to participate in raising children. Women will have to work to help the family survive. Their marriage is hard work. And while there is plenty of crossovers in the curses, remember this, the primary responsibility of provision and protection rests on the father. Even though the woman may have to help him. And the primary responsibility of having to look after children rests on the mother. Even though the father will have to help. 
And remember, just because the man and woman have different functions and spheres does not mean that they are not a team. The worst thing that you can do is separate each other off and operate in two different realms. We're a team together. And we're going to finish up with verse 20 to 24. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. It's interesting in the flow of this narrative, it takes a break here to tell us that Adam names Eve. Interesting. He names her Eve. And that word literally means life. Life. He calls her life because she'll be the mother of all living. Every person can trace their lineage back to these two people. They're our great, 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 great times 10, however many times we're going to go back, great parents. We all, uh, grandparents, we all uh, go back there. But I think it's important. The Bible put the fact that Eve was called life in there for a reason. I want to come back to it. But God then kills an animal because he makes garments of skin. Maybe thinking for a second, how does he get garments of skin? Well, he kills an animal. The first death occurred in the animal kingdom. And it most certainly will not be the last. Many billions of creatures will now perish. And God makes these garments to protect them from the elements, but also to cover their shame and nakedness and vulnerability and exposure. God hasn't destroyed them, but they have brought death into the world. And God realizes humanity has become like Him. And how have they become like Him? They know good and evil. They know the difference between good and evil. And God... uh, decides to guard the way to the tree of life from Adam and Eve so that they wouldn't reach out their hand and eat and live forever. And he does so, he protects the tree by driving them out into the wilderness and protecting it with a cherubim with a flaming sword. Now, I don't know what that cherubim would have looked like, but I would not want to have taken that thing on. Big flaming sword, I don't know what it would have been like, but man, I would not want to have fought that creature. And this is the state of humanity now, outside of relationship with God, No hope of salvation in and of themselves in a hostile, dangerous and lethal world in conflict with each other and with God. And the rest of the book of Genesis is going to confirm this for us. Get ready, buckle up. The kind of things that you're going to read in the book of Genesis are going to amaze you. You're going to be like, is that in the Bible? I can't read that to my kids. Well, we're going to read it. It's in God's word. And so this is the state of humanity and we're not left alone. Uh, And I want to bring it back to Eve being called life. Why? Because we have another, uh, uh, the word life shows up again, doesn't it? Where does it show up? The tree of life. The same word is used. Well, it's slightly different because um, the, Eve is called, called life in the feminine form with the feminine ending. Um, but it's basically the same word. And I believe this is a clue about Jesus. I believe this is a clue. I think there are actually three clues that we can see in Genesis 3. We see that there is the seed of the woman, right, who's going to crush the head of the serpent. But the seed of the woman will actually bring life. 
Uh, in Genesis 3, I believe, as I said, there are three clues. Uh, the curse of, curse of the serpent, the seed of the woman, uh, and also the garments of skin. And also the tree of life. All three point to Jesus. Why? Uh, I'm just going to draw your attention to Revelation 22, 1-2. It's going to be up on the the screen for you. Uh, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. It's fascinating if you read the book of Genesis, maybe Genesis 1 to 3, and then you read the book of Revelation. And you see that this garden language comes up right at the end of the book of Revelation when the new Jerusalem, the bride of the Lamb, comes uh, descending from heaven and the old Jerusalem is basically done away with. And this is identified throughout the New Testament. Who's the bride of Christ? We all know who the bride of Christ is throughout the New Testament. It's the church. It's the church. And how did the church come into existence? Through the death of Jesus, the seed of the woman the offspring of the woman. In the middle of the city is the tree of life, again, yielding its fruit and available for all to take. Who is it for the healing of? The nations. The 12 fruits that it, uh, that it brings forth. What's that? Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel. Here what we see is this great symbol pointing to us the, the, the life that we can find in the church, but it, it shows us in Genesis 3 that Jesus, even from these very early moments, has kind of been shown to us in, in a way that we can't really understand until the New Testament comes in. She's the mother of all living. All living, her offspring, ultimately Jesus, would crush the head of the serpent and win access back to the tree of life. And how is he going to do it? It's where the garments of skin are a good clue for us, through dying. Just as that animal was killed to cover Adam and Eve's shame, so also Christ would be killed to cover our shame. Now, you couldn't build this theology from Genesis 3 just by looking at it. I'm not saying that you can jump from Genesis 3 and then assume the gospel. But when you understand the gospel, you can look back at Genesis 3 and think, wow, wow, how much is Christ through every page of Scripture? How much is He through it all. And as I said, these are only clues. And we see them spelled out throughout the the whole narrative of the Bible. And we know that every page, if you read any page of the Bible, you know that ultimately all of it points beyond itself to Christ. So how does this all tie in? We kind of got the curse on the man and the woman. It kind of feels like it's one thing. And then we have this other thing at the end. And they're kind of two different things. But I think they do tie in. And I'm going to show you very quickly. We're going to finish up on this. This is my last point. Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5. The words will be up. Wives. These are, these are Christian wives. Christian husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
And here we have an amazing promise. Though the curse may have destroyed the relations between the sexes, and though uh, marriage is uh, cursed by God, Christ restores to us the way things were in the garden. In fact, he makes them even better. And we have a choice. Remember what I said before about you've got that image of God that's inside of you, that's being brought into fruition as you're being uh, made more and more like God, as you're being conformed into the image of Christ, right? That language matters. But you've also got the curse, and it's waging war. And in the culture, you know which side of the human psyche that they want to uh, pull on, and it's the sinful, cursed side. But the image of God is in every single human being. Whether you're Christian or not, it doesn't matter. We're all made in God's image. And you can let the curse destroy your life, You can refuse to let your husband lead and disrespect him. Husbands can refuse to love their wives and meet their needs. And you can refuse to have children and be fruitful and multiply. Or you can allow the gospel to fundamentally transform the way you view yourself and the way you view others. You see this kind of barren nature in our society where uh, people see the curse on uh, having children And they don't want any. They don't want any kids. They don't want to get pregnant. They see the the pain and turmoil that women have to go through for children and they go, I don't want that. I don't want to get married. Men will see, well, how much hard work it is to keep a marriage together over long periods of time and so they prefer to jump from woman to woman. And this world has seen the curse and they've looked it square in the face and said, I don't want it. And I want to say to you guys, to an extent, I don't blame them. Outside of Christ, it is a curse. But in Christ, these things become our greatest blessings. So my encouragement to you guys is um, press on. Embrace the curse. Because we were made to bear the curse. Men, work hard. Just because it's sweat now, just because it's toil now, doesn't mean that you're going to have a life of unfulfillment or a life that is unsatisfying. It's actually pressing into that where you're going to find fulfillment and satisfaction because you were made for that. And uh, women in the church as well, don't suppress the image of God and press into the curse. Don't try to seek leadership and control in different areas, but rather try to support and help your men flourish. Try to, try to help them as the role of helper. Respect your men, submit to their leadership, and fight that urge to control. And men in the church, love well, lead well, and fight the urge to withdraw. And if we can do that, people are going to see our families, our relationships, our lives. They'll see flourishing wives under wise leadership and flourishing husbands being respected and honored and they will give glory to our Father in heaven. I remember once when I was in Sydney, I was um, out for dinner with this couple and I was just blown away by just the health of this relationship and just how much this guy was, like from a male perspective, I was kind of looking at the way the wife was treating the husband. Obviously, (laughs) as a man, that's kind of where you first look. And I was just blown away by how much she just loved this man and respected him and was always, her whole body language was geared towards him and she just thought he was the greatest and I just remember being like, wow, in my whole life I've never seen that. In my whole life I've never seen that. And I just remember thinking at that time as this new Christian that it's the most beautiful relationship I've ever seen. Now these people I've never, I haven't 
seen them in like six years. Um, and I just thought of it just then, but hopefully that's encouraging and edifying to you. Uh, I'm going to pray, um, and then the band will come up to sing. Our Father, as we see these curses, uh, we want to acknowledge straight up, Lord, that you have cursed us and that these are punishments and that they are hard to bear. But Lord, our freedom and our satisfaction and our fulfillment in life doesn't come from avoiding these curses. And Lord, we thank you that even though they're cur- uh, these things are cursed, you have given us a way in Christ to bear up underneath them and find the freedom and fulfillment that they can be. Thank you, Lord, that you have given a, uh, a pattern of action in Jesus for the men of the church. And Lord, thank you that the uh, church adorned as a bride for her husband, perfect and holy, is a pattern uh, to be reflected in the women of our church. And Lord, thank you that you brought that to be about. And Lord, I pray that that would be the reality of our church. Help me, help all of us, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.